you made it to level two, deeper questions leading to deeper answers. I'm Tomas Garza, and I'm here to help you decide to transform. I'll be setting the pace for the process to support your unfolding. Learn and commit to a practice that brings simplicity and an awareness of what is ready to be released. Join me now and allow the experience of a deeper sense of love. Hello and welcome to Decide to Transform. I'm your host, Tomas Garza. And as always today, I have a very special guest, a very inspiring guest that has a tremendous story of personal transformation, perseverance, and let's face it, acts of will, multiple acts of will. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation here today. My guest from Colorado is Val Jones. Now, Val is a former elite figure skater. She shared the medal podium with Olympians Christy Yamaguchi, Tanya Harding, and Nancy Kerrigan. Her own Olympic dream was crushed when she sustained a career-ending knee injury. In recent years, Val has had eight major surgeries in nine years and contracted a potentially deadly complication after the fifth surgery. She has not only survived these, but has found a way to thrive in spite of them. Taken from her own experiences, Val has proven approaches on how to overcome obstacles, persist through problems, and come out on the other side even stronger. I'm proud to introduce you to the only human, and I do mean the only human, on the planet who can perform a triple Lutz, but does not know how to ride a bike. Val Jones, welcome to Decide to Transform. Thank you so much for having me, Tomas. And that's actually true. I really do not know how to ride a bike. Okay. Well, let's start with that. Is it, um, is it because you had a, a, an accident when you were attempting when you were younger or? No, I started figure skating when I was five. Okay. And instantly knew that that was what I wanted to do. Ah, yes. And that's kind of right at the age that you start learning to ride a bike. And um, about nine months after I started skating at the age of six, I was training six hours a day, six days a week. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily normal for a six-year-old. Six um, my parents didn't make me. I had, I had wonderful parents. But while other kids were playing and riding bikes and doing that thing, I was in the rink and I was training for my my one goal to compete in the Olympics for my country. Okay. So mm-hmm. it was just, well, you know, it wasn't like I had the opportunity, that I didn't have the opportunity. I just chose, you know, to be on the ice. That was my happy place. It still is my happy place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was fully committed even at, that young of age. Um, And, you know, I'm a parent now. I kind of question, like, what were my parents thinking, allowing me to do this? But (laughs) you also have to know that I'm the youngest of seven. Oh, my. And uh, so I think, Hmm. yeah, so I think by the time they got to me, they were like, okay, she'll just, she'll raise herself. She's good. You know, they they had been through it all. So, and and there Hmm. wasn't anything I could get in trouble to, you know, if I was safe at the rink, they knew I was safe. So, 
Okay. Well, so this does sound to the casual listener very, very young to be involved in such a rigorous training regimen. So uh, how did that how did that feel for you to know that you were involved in this training regimen and, and none of your peers was? So I think um, I think it's Simon Sinek in his book Start with Why. He says, when you know your why, the how becomes much less um, tough. It becomes mm -hmm. more palatable. It becomes easier for you to digest. And for me, it, it, it never occurred to me that this was weird or strange or too much for a six-year-old. Okay. I loved it. It was where I wanted to be every minute of every day that, that I could that I could be out there on the ice, that's where I wanted to be. It honestly never even occurred to me that that, that was unusual. Okay. Um, because I just loved it so very mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. And um, to quote another author, you know, I'm not sure if Malcolm Gladwell is correct in, in, his, in his book, The Outliers. He says that it takes 10,000 hours to master mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that could be proven or disproven, but I could probably tell you, Tomas, I mean, it's not like you put on your skates and you're learning a, a new jump and you land it on your first try on the first day. That's right. not how it happened. I probably fell 10,000 times yeah. before, before mm. I ever landed on my feet. And yes, for your audience, it hurts. Ice mm. is hard. It does not feel good. I would come home just bruised. You, you would have thought maybe I was a beaten child because I would just be bruised everywhere. Um, but I never, that never discouraged me because it was never, I never perceived it as failure. I only perceived no. it as feedback. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you are, when you're talking about transformation, there is, is no win or lose. There just is winning or learning. And if you should fail, if you could make that mental switch from it being failure to feedback, then something happens inside of you where you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I'm learning. So I'm going to aggressively now chase after failure. And so every time I did a jump and it, and I ended up, uh, with my butt on the ice, it was feedback. Did I not jump high enough? Did I not rotate quick enough? Was I off axis? Was one of my shoulders not level? Like every 10,000 times, it was all feedback until collectively the day came that I took all of the feedback and put it all together. And then you land on your feet and it's amazing. Okay. Amazing. How old were you when you landed on your feet and had that moment of euphoria? Uh, you know, probably from the first time I, I, I stepped out because it was like, oh, oh. you, know, you, you want to go frontwards. Okay, you trip and, you know, toe picks um, are easy to trip over. Oh, okay, you want to skate backwards now. So really that was from the minute I started to learn how to skate, it was the fail feedback, fail feedback, fail feedback. Okay. You, just, you learn. Yeah. Well, and then you, you learned a lot, practiced a lot, and then went on to become a competitive 
figure skater. So as you mentioned in your intro, sharing a medals podium with Christy Yamaguchi and Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan and, and, and the like. And, you know, gosh, let me ask you of all of the figure skating, um, figure skaters and, and figure skating people that you've ever come into contact with, who was your role model? Did you have a figure skating role model or um, some, someone that really, really inspired you? Absolutely. So I was training and pursuing my Olympic dream. My parents decided that if we're going to really go after this, that, that we have to get some better coaching. Oh, yeah. I grew up in the suburbs of Sacramento. Hmm. While the coaching was adequate there, it wasn't national, international, Olympic style coaching. And so my parents made the decision that my mom and I would move away from our family home. I was just 11 and we moved down to the Bay Area and I ended up for the next seven years, I got to train with Brian Boitano and his coach. Oh, really? Okay. Ah. And, yeah. And in the spirit of, if you want to raise the bar on yourself, hang out with people who you deem better than yourself. Mm-hmm. And just, just the change of going from Sacramento and it, to, to any of my friends who are listening to this now, don't be offended, but you, you go from training with your friends to training with Brian, who is on his way to the Olympics. It's a different thing. He sure. trained differently. He acted differently. He thought differently. And um, Brian had a super strong work ethic. He always was a great example of, it wasn't failure, it was feedback. And he was a great example of what being a great competitor, a great athlete and a, and a great skater was for me. Um, I don't know if he knows that. I should probably huh. be telling him that. Mm-hmm. But I got to just, you know, skate literally behind him for seven years and watch and mimic and emulate and aspire to be everything that he already was. And he was just, um, what a, how blessed was I mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to train in his shadow. Yeah. He really made an impact on me. Uh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, I think I agree with you. He should know that. Yeah. Right. Are you all in touch still? Um, you know, we're, I follow him on, on, on the social medias, but, um, you know, we lost connection like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I could get a hold of him if I, if I, <laughs> yeah. if I want. Okay. Well, and then that really raised the stakes for you and, and helped you raise your own game, raise the bar, um, up-leveled, whatever term people want to use for that. So now you're operating on a completely different level and you're competitive, you're sharing a, a medals podium with Christy Yamaguchi uh, and you know, an Olympic medalist. So th- then you had an injury. How old were you when your injury occurred? So I was 18. 18, okay. And yeah, I, I, could, I could see my 
my Olympic dream in front of me, it felt very real. It felt like it was attainable. Um, and one day as I was training, um, my latest triple called the triple Lutz, mm-hmm. um, I just completely blew out my knee. Now I had been injured before. So being injured, you know, when you're competing at that high a level injury is not anything new, uh, to an athlete at that level. So I had been injured before. Um, I don't know if it was my immaturity or just wishful thinking on my part, but I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'll have to be in a brace. I'll have to be off the ice. I'll have to do physical therapy, rehab. I'm looking at probably three to six months of being ice, being off ice, and then I can return. It never dawned on me that the the orthopedic surgeon um, would say, you know, I think I can put you back together, but Mm. it would be my professional opinion that you never skate again. And just in one moment, my whole world just came crushing down. Um, Everything I had worked for, everything I had sacrificed. I, I, a couple of years ago, I actually calculated that I had trained about 36,000 hours Mm -hmm. up to that point. Um, So I spent a good part of my childhood um, and my growing up training. So there's a whole lot when you, it wasn't even losing my chance at the Olympics. I kind of lost my identity in that moment too. Yeah. Yeah. Being an athlete, being a figure skater is, is not, what I did, but who I was. So it was learning how to navigate. Well, you know, what do you do now? When I was 18 and I wasn't a mature 18 year old, mm-hmm. Tomas, when, mm-hmm. when you live in that very controlled environment and everything you do, everything you eat, everything is determined by somebody else. It doesn't allow you to grow emotionally. So I was not an emotionally okay. mature 18 year old. Yeah. All right. Well, and then what happened after this? All of a sudden, your Olympic dream is over with. And you've just said you were not an emotionally mature 18-year-old. So what happened then? So I'll be honest, I I struggled for a very, very long time with, you know, just the, the disappointment and the heartbreak. And I was so sad and bitter and angry and just all all the feelings you know I had to mm-hmm. process and I, I just kind of struggled for for many years with well what am I gonna what am I gonna do now because I had literally put all my eggs <laughs> in one basket yeah I, I had no plan B there was no ever gonna there wasn't ever intended to be a plan B um, so I, ha- I struggled for a long time. I, I had some unhealthy coping mechanisms. Uh, but finally I, I, I started finding my way. I had to really tap into my inner athlete and bring her out and use her in a different way. And okay. that inner struggle of, um, okay, well, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, it's just feedback. I'm going to try this. And I, I just kept trying things until I found something that, that landed with me. Okay. Um, but it was, it was, it wasn't pretty. 
I struggled for a really long time. Mm. Okay. Well, and you mentioned a, a term that I, I want to ask you a little bit more about, and that's your inner athlete. Would you say some more about what you mean by that? Well, even though I'm no longer an, an, an elite athlete, I still think like one. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, to me, and some of my friends and even my husband, they're like, Val, not everything is a competition. And I'm like, yes, it is. No. Of course <laughs> it is. Um, my inner athlete. Um, I like competing. Okay. I like winning. Mm, and so mm -hmm. even simple things like, okay, um, let's see, last time I washed my car, it took me 36 minutes. Um, can I beat that time? That's my inner athlete. I'm okay. always looking to be better, faster, stronger um, in really a lot of different capacities in, in my life. So okay. being an athlete, being a competitor isn't what what I do. It, it's who I am. It's who I've always been. And I have a strong suspicion it's who I'll always be. And I'm thankful for her. I'm mm -hmm. thankful for her because, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to it here in a little bit, but I have had to call on my inner athlete to get me through some very, very difficult times. Yes. And if it hadn't been for that mindset, I, do, I don't know. I don't know what my life would look like. I don't know um, if I would even be here. Okay. Well, and yeah, you've mentioned this in the intro, some really, really difficult situations. So which of these would you like to start with or talk about the most? What was the, the most difficult? So nobody told me when I started skating at five, that, that ice would, was hard and all of those jumps and falls would have an impact on okay. my yeah. body at a later thing. Um, I've had eight surgeries, nine years. Um, seven of them have been orthopedic, mm -hmm. including a, a, a fused back and a new uh, right hip. The knee that I blew out um, will have to be replaced at some point in time. It's holding good right now, um, but at some point in my life, I will have to have a knee replacement. It's not if, it's a matter of when. Um, I would say, uh, so ironically, the surgery that was not orthopedic, it was a sinus surgery. Okay. And the reason why that was the most difficult is anytime you go under the knife, there is a, um, a, a complication called MRSA, or some people say MRSA. And it is a staph infection that is not curable by normal antibiotics. All right. Most nurses are outward. So they're on, on your skin somewhere and they're highly contagious. And, and usually if somebody has MRSA, they have to be quarantined. Like the whole oh, really? you know, oh. plastic bubble, boy in the bubble thing. Okay, really? Okay. And my MRSA oh. was contained in my sinus cavity. Um, so I didn't have to be quarantined. So a couple things, a, it, it felt like I had gone 15 rounds with Mike Tyson oh. and it burned in my sinuses, like 
10,000 deaths by fire. Like it, it is unexplainable. Um, so I had to go to the infectious disease doctor. I had to uh, get a, like a, a pick line, which is what they use for cancer patients in my arm. And then every eight hours round the clock, I had to take two different um, ana um, IV antibiotics because I was, I had two different strains of MRSA. Oh. So <laughs> I'm actually hmm. in the, I'm actually in the history books in the CDC because my, my infectious disease doctor, he's like in 25 years of doing this, I've never had anybody who's had two. So somehow, Tomas, I contracted two different strains of MRSA. Um, so I had to have two different antibiotics. Mm. Um, the complication of, of one of them, if I pushed uh, the whole needle jupe all at once, I would go into immediate cardiac arrest. So I had to do one cc over a minute, and then a minute off, and then a minute. Mm. And then the other one was a potential kidney failure, which is what I went into on day 27. Oh no, okay. So when I talk about my inner athlete and how I have depended on her, when my infectious disease doctor said, okay, so we're gonna immediately take you off the IV antibiotics. We're gonna put you on dialysis. We're gonna flush your system. One of two things will happen. Either once we get rid of everything, and get all the medicine out of your body, your kidneys, believe it or not, have a very uh, beautiful regenerative component to them. Oh, cool. So it'll mm -hmm. either kick back in or it won't. And we will try mm -hmm. to get you on the list for a, a new kidney. He's like, but at this point, your biggest fight is just to make it through the night. Do you have your affairs in order? So that to me was like, I am now not fighting to go to the Olympics. I'm not fighting for, I am literally fighting for my life. And so when I talk about my inner athlete, it was setting small goals, um, um, not looking at uh, the next 24 hours, but what do I need to do in the next 24 minutes or sometimes the next 24 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> and um, trying to hit those little teeny tiny goals. And if my nurse came in and said, okay, you know, we got to get you up and walk or you need to try to use the restroom or whatever it was, it was what is directly in front of me right now that I need to get through Let's get through that. Let's push it aside. And then, and here's the, the hardest part, is stepping up again. Through the pain, through the misery, through the nausea, through like so many times um, I have been in that. So when I talk about my inner athlete, I sure am thankful for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. This is a really interesting theme. It's, it's a mentality and a way of life, as you've described it. Now, how long ago was this double MRSA infection? It was only a year and a half ago. Okay. Wow. Not that long ago. Mm, no. No. And how is that now? Is this something that, uh, that might come up again? Or have you moved beyond that? 
So MRSA is either active or inactive. And so I'm inactive right now, okay. but um, if I were to go under another surgery or get some other sort of infection, it could uh, be back, go back to being active. So anytime I have a sinus infection, um, I have to go and have it checked because MRSA loves infection, loves it, okay. thrives on it. So if mm. I were to get another sinus infection, I have to go and make sure that it's not. Uh, All right. Yeah. So you don't develop that again. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you know, a couple of things that, that you've mentioned here is that you're setting goals in the present moment, in the now, quite, quite literally of this is, is a, there are many ways to get to not setting goals for the next 24 years, but for the next 24 seconds, as you said, what do I need to do right now? And then showing up and asking the same question the very next second or 24 seconds later. Yeah, it's what people sometimes spend years and years of spiritual practice, yoga, meditation, getting to. And you reached it by a completely different road. Completely different road. So that that's it's a very remarkable story that, that you were, have been able to do that. And it's the only surgery out of all of the surgeries that you've had that was non-orthopedic in nature. Was that a, a giant surprise to you? Well, a little bit because I had just come off of having a L5S1 back fusion. Oh, now, as okay. far as uh, the worst one, as far as pain, that one was the worst one. And mm. I've had two kids cut out of me. I've had two <sighs> successes. Okay. <laughs> back pain is a pain unlike any other. Um, mm. And then I followed that up with a right hip replacement. And so my, um, my ENT who performed my sinus surgery, he was like, oh God, after, after everything that you've been through, sinus surgery will be a walk in the park for you. And um, so I kind of had just this expectation that it was just going to be easy. And actually the surgery was, was very difficult, um, not in the same ways that some of my orthopedic surgeries have been, but it was the MRSA after that, just like it, it, yeah, it just about killed me. So it did kind of come as a shock mm -hmm. because I thought, how have I had like my body parts replaced and, and this, this is what's going to do me in? Are you kidding me? Okay. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I can, I can imagine. I mean, there, there are so many stories about people that have lived through all kinds of, of trauma and war only to be eventually brought down by something completely unforeseen. Yep. So, yeah. Well, and, and so now, now that you've come through all of this and, and you've had other difficulties as well, not just with the surgeries, but starting with your injury at 18 that ended your Olympic figure skating dream. Now, how, how are you working with people to help them reach or channel this inner athlete? Because now you're working in a professional capacity with this, correct? I am. So a, a couple of things. Um, and without being a Debbie Downer, I'm really not a negative person. Uh, but here's what I've 
come to know uh, to, to be true about humans. Chances are, if you have a heartbeat, you will run into pain, disappointment, heartbreak, and fear. And I feel like those four things run consistently through humanity all the way back to Adam and Eve. But in those moments, we all have a choice. We, we can choose to step forward and get through the next 24 seconds, or we can stay where we are. And the other thing, the other half of that is when I look at all of the peak performers in life, and I am talking athletes, um, um, government officials, businessmen, entrepreneurs, people who are doing what they do and they are doing it at the highest level, they all have one thing in common. And that is they have all had to overcome one of those things. Mm -hmm. And so over the last you know, 20, 25 years, I've just been watching and, and studying and following peak performers. And, and now, so now what I do is I, I coach people on how to reach their peak performers their peak performance. And I feel like it, it always comes down to two things, the difference between average and elite, two things. If you can master these two things, I promise you, you will increase your life. And it is your mindset and your work habits. Oh yeah. That's it. And those two things are also, by the way, the only two things you can control in your life. When fear and pain and disappointment and heartbreak hit you, the only two things you can control in life is your attitude and your work ethic. And so I wish people could understand because I, I bet we, we know people or maybe they're friends of ours or some, sometimes even relations to ours that, that they're still stuck in that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I could choose to be stuck in that moment, you know, when I was 18 years old and still be bitter and resentful, um, but I'm trying to use it for, for good, to, mm -hmm. to move humanity forward. Right. Uh, so I wish that people would recognize that what happens to you in life is an event and it's not a description. Right. Yes, that's very well put. It does not define you. You are not what happened to you at age 18. No. No, and sometimes you can't control what happens to you. Like yes. what, I mean, look at look at this whole COVID thing. Nobody had control over this, mm. but you can't always control your attitude. Right. You know, is it, it you know are is it a failure or is it feedback? You get to decide. Mm -hmm. It is, and uh, I love that you're stressing the importance of a moment-to-moment -moment choice, a moment-to-moment -moment decision, and for those listening three or four years from now, thank you, by the way, for listening. This is being recorded at the tail end of 2020. You look back in history, this was the COVID-19 pandemic year that none of us saw coming, but here we are, and I thank you for listening years from now, or today. Yeah, very, very important. Um, very important that we make that decision again and again. Now, Val, I want to ask you about this because I understand that you've recently written and published a book. Would you tell us about that? 
I will. Thank you for asking. Yes. Um, my book is named Sharpen Your Edge. Okay. And that is a nod to obviously my, my skating background. Mm -hmm. And I would love to think that my book is a book about hope. Okay. I hate to call it a how-to book because what helped me get, get me through my traumas and tragedies may not work for somebody else. Yeah. But again, should you find yourself in fear and heartbreak, disappointment, or pain, I'm hoping that there's something in my book that will cause you to take that one tiny step forward and deal with, I know this is just kind of a theme that we created in, in our talk today, but take forward and get through that next 24 seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. That next 24 seconds mm -hmm. um, could could really make a difference in somebody's life when they're dealing with the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or I mean I've heard just some horrific stories about uh, about pain and heartbreak and, and it saddens me um, so hopefully my story is a book about hope and there will be something in there that will give you the courage to stand up and take a step forward mm. into a life that just like myself, you hadn't planned on, you hadn't prepared for. And, okay. and I have found myself in those positions quite, quite often in my life, not knowing what to do. So right. I love all things Tony Robbins. I love mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And, and sure. Tony always says, take massive action. And I don't disagree with that, but sometimes that very first small teeny tiny step forward is ginormous. It is. That, that actually constitutes massive action. Yeah. yeah, it is. Most definitely. And so the title is Sharpen Your Edge. So you just, congratulations, number one. Was this your first book? It was. Thank okay. you. Yes. Yeah. I love this. All right. Because we have we have listeners that want to write a book and we have people that have, that have written books before. So we all, as authors, know um, that it's not an easy journey. Now, my understanding is this is a project that you've had percolating for some time, right? And and now you now you've got it out there. Yes, exactly. I actually started writing it in 2017, but I was on the road doing training, doing okay. all the things, and then you know uh, I did my last. Speaking engagement, I think February 24th or something. And, I, and my next one was like March 4th or 5th, or I, I'm not sure. I'd have to look back at the calendar, but then everything shut down. Sure. Mm -hmm. All of my speaking engagements got canceled, all of them, all of them for 2020. So I was at home uh, and now I had the time to really sit down and, and, and write the book. And okay. so while everybody, I can see why people would be like, oh, 2020 is, is an awful year. Um, again, if you choose to look at it that way, then it probably will be that way for you. I choose to be thankful because this book has been sitting in my heart for three years and I finally got it done. And that um, never would have happened if, if I would have executed on 2020 as I had planned. Right. Yeah, and, and this is something, uh, your plans have changed a lot, and you've got a phrase from earlier in our conversation that I really 
that I really want to highlight again is when plan A isn't the plan at all. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Mm -hmm. Who knew? You know, and this is where I want to just encourage your listeners, like people, you have the power. It's yeah. in you. You get to decide, is it a setback or is it a set up for something greater? And I could have chosen to look at 2020 as a setback, but I'm choosing to look at it as a set up for something greater in, in hopes that my, my book will move somebody forward in, in their path. Yeah. Um, the power is already in us. You just have mm -hmm. to decide. It's exercising that six inches between your ears. That's, that's where, that's where the magic happens mm -hmm. right there. It is moment to moment right now, everybody make a decision. Make right the decision. Yeah. Set back or set up, you decide. I love that. Yes. And the title of your book is Sharpen Your Edge. Now, is this available in, in paperback, ebook, audiobook? How can people get a hold of this? It is on Amazon. Okay. And it is um, in ebook form. It is in, it actually comes in hardback. And after the first of the year, I will be releasing the audio version. Okay. All right. So uh, we're recording this right before the first of the year. So uh, when listeners are, are hearing this, you'll have an audio book out as well, which is, is wonderful. That, that's so beautiful. Ebook, audio book, hardback, sharpen your edge. Now, Val, how else can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you in another capacity? Well, the easiest way is to email me at okay. my email is Val at valjonespeaks.com, which is also my website, valjonespeaks.com. So if anybody has a question or I'd love to hear, I always wanna encourage podcast listeners, if you have a story of overcoming an obstacle, please please email me and share it with me. I, I love hearing about people overcoming what they thought that they couldn't. I love it. It's the best. My favorite story of all time is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Oh, but and so I, I would love to hear your success stories. Absolutely. And I would encourage all of the listeners to get a hold of Val and share your own success stories because I know, because I know some of you personally, I know you have them. And those of you whom I don't know, I know you have them too. So share them with her. Okay. So it's Val at valjonesspeaks.com for an email address and valjonesspeaks.com, all one word. That is Val's website. So Val, thank you very much for this information and for all of the, the, the very, very powerful stories from your own experience that you've shared with us today. This has been a real pleasure. You're welcome. I hope, um, as I wrote my book, I kept um, telling myself that I'm writing it for what I call the one, mm -hmm. the one, the okay. one. I don't yeah. know who the one is, but the one person who is sitting in pain or the one person who is sitting in heartbreak and disappointment and fear, um, you have control over your life and you get to choose. And I just also want to encourage your audience, Tomas, underlying all that we talked about today is um, having a commitment to not, not ever quitting. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be clear with your audience that there is a difference between redirecting your energy and quitting. Know the difference because they couldn't be any further apart. Right. But if you are faced with redirecting your energy, I've chosen for myself, and I hope it is your choice that you look at it as a chance to build a different, better version of yourself. It's never too late. You're never too old. You're never too far gone to build the best version of yourself. Keep chasing after her. Keep chasing after him. Don't ever be out of the fight. Love it. Okay. Yes. And, and you do get to choose. So please, please, please make that choice. Val, anything else that you'd like to add for, for the listeners here today? Just that I believe in your, your power to change your life. I believe in your power to change your thinking. <laughs> and I believe in your power to build the best version of yourself, whatever that is for you. Love I it. really do believe it. Yes. Yes. And so do I. And I hope that you all listening out there believe that too. So Val, thank you again. This has been a real pleasure for me. I I really appreciate your joining us all here today. Thank you for having me. Be well, be safe, and um, happy new year uh, for the next three days. All right. Thank you. This has been Val Jones and I'm Tomas Garza. Thank you for tuning in to Decide to Transform. Everyone have a great day, safe and happy new year. And we'll see you again soon here in 2021. Have a great day, everyone.